Hello, everyone. You're listening to When in Spain, a podcast all about, well, yeah, you guessed it, Spain. I'm your host, Paul Burge. Thank you for joining me. Coming up, I've got a great episode for you this week. I'm talking all about... El Vino, yes, Spanish wine. And to help me explore the world of Spanish wine, I've enlisted the help of wine lovers, wine experts, Luke Daracot and Roque Madrid. And in the episode, I head along to their wine shop, uh, quite close to Plaza Mayor in the Spanish capital. The shop's called Madrid and Daracot, of course. And well, we talk about the history of Spanish wine, the various wine regions of Spain, the dios, the styles, and really talk about our general appreciation for Spanish wine. Luke and Roque will be giving a little bit of advice about what to try, how to order, uh, where you should go if you want to visit some wineries here in Spain and they talk about their background in wine, how they came to open their own wine shop selling their favourite Spanish wines. During the episode, of course, we also crack open a bottle and do a little bit of wine tasting ourselves, uh, even though it was recorded at about 10.30 in the morning. So if you're into Spanish wine, this episode has un poco de todo, a little bit of everything for Spanish wine fans. Uh, before we get to that, first, a couple of announcements I'd like to make. I've decided to include a new segment in the When in Spain podcast. I've decided to call it Como se dice, which is Spanish for how do you say. And at the end of each episode, I'm going to look at a little bit, a little bit of Spanish language and specifically a few pieces of vocabulary or a few phrases or expressions that relate to the episode. So it's not going to be some kind of exhaustive Spanish lesson, nothing like that. There's already millions and millions of podcasts out there for learning Spanish. But I thought it could be useful to focus in on a couple of pieces of Spanish language that might be useful and that crop up sometimes in the podcast episode. I know many of you listeners uh, already speak Spanish, um, but also many of you don't, or many of you may speak Spanish, but may not uh, know lots of little colloquialisms or very specific vocabulary. So anyway, that's the idea. I'm going to trial it for a few weeks. Uh, you guys uh, let me know via the Facebook group if you like it. So the first one coming up at the end of this episode, and of course, it's going to be about wine. Just before we get boozy, I'd like to give a quick shout out and a big thank you to new When in Spain patrons, uh, Zach Hart, Quincy Morgan and Heather Belser. Hope I've pronounced your names correctly. So Zach, Quincy and Heather, a big, big thank you for helping to support the show by pledging your donation. Um, and if anyone else uh, also enjoys When in Spain, then please do consider making a small donation via the crowdfunding website patreon you can donate at patreon.com forward slash when in spain patreon.com forward slash when in spain we currently have 17 patrons i believe supporting the show making uh, small regular donations to help uh, cover the costs of production and publishing the show and of course my time as well so we have 17 i would love to try and get 20 or 25 maybe during the next couple of months and uh, I guess with the ultimate goal of trying to get 50 patrons 
uh, supporting the When in Spain podcast. So if you think it's worth it, if you enjoy listening and you could spare one or two dollars to support the show, uh, patreon.com When in Spain. So let's get on with the part of the show that you're actually here for, our Spanish Wine 101 guide with Luke and Roque. I have to say we had uh, quite a few laughs during the recording and uh, quite a few interruptions of uh, deliveries of wine. Um, so sorry about that, but I think it's a fun episode and uh, hopefully interesting and useful. So here we go. Salud. Luke and Roque, thank you for joining the One in Spain podcast. My pleasure. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Where are we? That is a very existential question. Um, we're in our wine shop, Madrid and Daracot. Madrid and Daracot. On a chilly June morning in Madrid. Yeah, yeah we are talking about wine and uh, it is actually AM. So <laughs> we are debating whether to open a bottle of wine while we uh, talk about wine, but we'll see how that goes. You say debating, we're going to do it. <laughs> It's going to be open. Yeah, so here we are. Central Madrid, literally a, a kind of cork-popping distance from Plaza Mayor, right in the centre. You haven't been here long, actually, have you? We opened the shop late November, last November. And 2018, so, for those of you listening yeah. in the future. That means around seven months, huh? so yeah. seven, eight months. We are still young, you know, under one year, I think it's young. We're, st- we're still at that point where, because there used to be a, um, an old lady's underwear shop here. So we're still, at that, we're still at that point where little old ladies come and go, where are all the underpants? And you're like, it's not here anymore, Doris. It's, now it's wine. They're like, ah. It's, it's still at that point where we're new enough for people who are fromish the area to yeah. go like, oh, when did this come? You know, uh-huh. we're not yeah. fully established 100%. The story began uh, last summer. Uh, one day I saw a beautiful little shop that yeah. was for rent near the Plaza Mayor. And I said to look, why don't we place a wine shop? Uh, we have been doing this podcast for two years and a half right now, the mm-hmm. Spanish wine experience. Because that's how I found out about you guys, was listening to your wonderful and entertaining boozy podcast about oh, yes. wine. So listeners, um, if you want uh, a super, super in-depth series all about Spanish wine, check out the podcast, um, Spanish Wine Experience, right? Yeah. We met around 10 years ago in the city. Um, I moved from Murcia, I, I'm from the southeast of Spain. I moved here uh, 16 years ago, uh, looking for a chance in the TV industry and film industry. No, and I don't. Well, I would love to. I have a few, a few <laughs> synopses that you would <laughs> love. Lots it. of scripts, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially running the bulls in Pamplona. Ooh, my God. <laughs> you would love that. <laughs> Uh, I met Luke here, I was looking for a house for a show, and uh, we met in San Miguel Market. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone stole his bag mm-hmm. while we had the interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we moved the interview to the police station. I had basically only been in Spain about a year. I mean, I spoke Spanish in a basic kind of, I've just graduated from university kind of sense. Yeah. Not a, ah, let me explain to the quite unhappy looking police officers how, what, you know, what happened. Yeah. And so... And also because some of the Spanish um, bureaucratic setups are wonderfully old-fashioned, you had to phone the police from within the actual building. Yeah, it was so weird. It was so odd. And yeah. I was like, I can't, this is freaking me out. And so Rocket pretended to be me, and it was very amusing, because he's the, he, this is a man I've met two hours before, and he's there going like, you know, like... I'm, I'm, I have to say, I'm such a good person. So you were impersonating Luke? Yeah. yeah. But like, obviously a Spanish man from Murcia. <laughs> and they're like, what's your father's name? And he's like, Brian. 
<laughs> and then and your mother's name Anne, and the and the appy the surname is like Darakot, and then they're like, how do you spell that? It's like D A R A. I hit him like two R's. D A R R A C O T. And I kick him again. Another T. Two T's. And it's like I think they were like, are you sure you're Luke Darakot? You're like Claro. <laughs> it's like obviously. <laughs> We almost, we almost go to jail that day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we never recovered the back. But we finally did the show uh, in Italy, called Finding Little Italy. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, after that we... Became um, really famous mega movie stars, and here we are. Yeah. You, are, you are becoming very popular among old ladies. Mm, old ladies? <laughs> Household name amongst... Uh, amongst old ladies, yeah. Philippine, Philippinians, <laughs> and, and people in Mumbai. And my face was plastered <laughs> all over a... Your face <laughs> is in a big, big... Ad in the Mumbai, Mumbai airport. Yeah, it's very that's surreal. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. That's really embarrassing. We, well, no, it's embarrassing <laughs> for, for, for many reasons, but <laughs> I'm quite happy. But the, um, the problem is we sold to Spain Italy, but it's a crowded market. Whereas Philippines, I'm guessing they have like five five channels compared to I don't know. I'm just being mean now. We are on air in Spain right now yeah. in Canal Canal Viajar, Viajar, the travel channel. Yeah, they, they sort of yeah, wheel out the program yeah. every so often. Um, exactly. But also in every in every program we've ever done and everything we've ever done as friends, we didn't find a bag, but we did find a friendship. Is, oh. is that, is, yeah. that is embarrassing. Yeah, and then we did this, the podcast, and then uh, we began making these uh, tastings, wine tastings. Yeah. And we decided to open a shop to sell the wine we love and share it with friends. Yeah, we did this. It was, it was Airbnb experiences, which we still do in the shop now. But it was nice. It was like we go to a couple of bars, um, we choose the wine, do some tapas, which is fine. But we couldn't control the wines as easily. Um, you know, sometimes they put wines. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to put that one. Obviously, we're constrained by price, so I can't go. Oh, this is a sh- this is a fancy, fancy, expensive one. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't know if you've noticed, but tapas bars are not famously quiet. <laughs> so you're sort of Berdejo. What's he saying? Berdejo. <laughs> you're kind of screaming these wine facts over a crazy bar, and it was a bit uncomfortable. So yeah, we yeah. we kind of do those here now, and our BS free wine tastings. <laughs> We've just had to interrupt this broadcast for uh, a wine delivery. So we say we open at 11 o'clock, and everyone just decides to ignore that. What have you got there? Looks like he's unloading Rioja. Oh, it's a, it's a vino dulce. A sweet wine. Uh-huh. We try it, and everyone was like, oh, wow. The delivery guy is just wheeling in a couple of, uh, couple of boxes of wine. So, listeners, we're in the shop, but they're not open yet. Um, it's uh, before 11 o'clock. And they open at 11, and it's half past 10. But we've had a str- stream of people inquiring as to whether the shop is open. We've had, uh, I think, two deliveries while we've been recording. Obviously, it's going to happen. So I was like, well, you should probably come back in. And do a wine shop. Yeah, Luke, because you studied wine, right? You're actually a, a, sommelier. Not a sommelier. You're not a sommelier. So a qualified alcoholic is a difference. A qualified alcoholic. What's the difference? So, sommelier is like the other side. If there's like two sides of a coin in the wine world, yeah. you have, I'm not going to say they're all pretentious, <laughs> but you have the slightly more pretentious side. Not all of the people who do it, but that is the sommelier side. This is the service side, the actual titled like job side. So if you go to a nice restaurant, usually fancier ones, they have a sommelier whose job it is to give all those people paying a lot of money for a meal the perfect wine pairing. You have the sommeliers who are freelance and they work with businesses, with companies, with for events, anything. Their whole job is to pair basically anything with wine. If you go, I'm sad because my cat died, they go, oh, there's a Pinot Grigio for you. They can pair anything from you know, tobacco to chocolate to food or whatever. 
their sommeliers, and that is a there's a point to where you branch off in the qualifications. There is a fantastic film, well, three of them now, called Some, mm-hmm. on Netflix. Check it out. And that is following these guys doing the master sommelier course. Yeah. And they are sommeliers. They're all wine experts, but that is with a view to service. And you have to know more detailed things about pairing that I don't really care about. I mean, pairing is fun, but like life's too short to be like, is this the perfect wine to go with my artichokes? It's just like, are you happy? <laughs> yeah, then shut up and drink it. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm the other way, which would be if I carried on my route, yeah. which is it starts off with the WSET, which is the Wine and Spirits Education Trust, which mm-hmm. is the kind of the, one of the most well regarded in in the world. Um, I'm on level three, passed with distinction, just saying. Uh, level four is the diploma, which is what I want to do. Obviously, that depends on how I can fit it in here, but that's a good thing to have. Yeah. The thing after that would be the Master of Wine, which I don't think I will do because I want to have a life, <laughs> and it really is all consuming. But that is basically saying, I have qualifications to prove that I have a drinking problem and I know more than you. <laughs> In the same way, you can have a doctorate without being a doctor. It just means you've studied and know more. Yeah. Um, so I do it purely because I, I love learning. It sounds really schmaltzy, like, oh, I just love learning. <laughs> but my passion is teaching about wine in my way. And so I do the qualifications, A, so I know more, and B, and it sounds a bit sort of unromantic but then if anyone wants to check that I'm I know my stuff I can be like here's a pin here's my certificate leave me alone yeah. um, because also I'm very aware a I'm still young actually young in the wine world there's lots of crusty old white-haired men that just because they're still not dead they feel that like they know anything more and more important that young. 32 okay I'm not that young oh god I'm 32 um, but also I'm not the most serious person and the wine world can be serious I'm also very aware that when I'm giving my wine tastings yeah usually to foreigners who are there to sort of actually have fun as well, I'm aware that sometimes, it, you know, if, if you were an old crusty wino who'd been in the Spanish wine industry for 50 years and you're very antiquated, you might look at what I'm doing and think, he doesn't, I bet he doesn't know his stuff, all that kind of stuff. And so if I have it in a way that I can also say, look, if you want me to go full geek and talk to you about pH in the soil, I can. But these people have come from New York, they want to know a little bit about what they're drinking and then hopefully sort of tumble out a bit tipsy. So the qualifications I do more like for me, but now that we have a business, it's become more of a, a useful professional thing to have if I need it to kind of whip it out. Like, look, 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 I actually do know my stuff. Yeah. Most of it, yeah. So if you need to whip it out, you can. I always do. It's be, people complain. Are we talking about the... Well, I was just thinking about the old ladies who are coming looking for underwear and then... Oh, then. And you're whipping it out. Naughty suggestive language. The Brits invented that. <laughs> Carry on films. Uh, no. It's very much like, and do you whip it out when the old ladies come in? Oh, I beg your pardon, sir. <laughs> oh, no, no, I don't mean that, you know. <laughs> Classic British cinema. Just a bit of a brief outline of the history of Spanish wine. I know that's like a huge question. Tell us the history of Spanish wine. 3,000 years? Phoenicians? Is that what we're talking? My little nuts and bolts thing. Because yeah. uh, on one hand, like you say, when you talk about the history, you can be there for days. But yeah. there is a nice, a nice little clean cut thing. Uh-huh. Most people talk about Romans when they're talking about the predominant chunk of it Phoenicians about 1100 BC we know they were wine growers Mm. but they were not the ones who brought vine grapes to us we actually have remains more than 3000 years old but it's unlikely as well so we've had wine here since well we've had wine grapes here since more than 3000 BC but they weren't making like a nice glass of Rioja then you had you know um, Phoenicians, Carthaginians, kinky Greeks, um, Romans. Romans were the ones who really expanded it. They made you know, English wines. 
um, before they realized, eh, not so good. And the original Spanish wine was written about as sort of mid-quality, not that great. There were some good ones, but it was considered good, easy-drinking plonk for the soldiers and stuff because it was high alcohol. Well, even today, you get even a cheap, crappy Spanish red wine, it's like, eh, it's drinkable because there's alcohol and stuff. Um, but it wasn't really until the Romans and then later in the sort of the 13th century when the Romans left, there was a kind of a blip when the Visigoths were here. We don't really know what happened there. But then the monasteries and the Catholics. I mean, the Moors, they didn't stop. They're not supposed to drink the alcohol, but they didn't stop viticulture. But it was really kind of Romans who kick-started it in a big way. And then the monasteries, because they're, you know, what are you going to do all day? Oh, I'm praying again. Oh, Jesus Christ, let's get drunk. You know, <laughs> so they, we had drunk monks, we used to call them here. Um, so the British ones made cider and beers. The Spanish ones, French ones, they made, you know, wine. And it kind of continued to that. And where would the oldest vines have uh, been found? I think Cadiz was the, were the oldest, along with the older city. Yeah. Because yeah. they, they came up through Africa originally, from yeah. Homo sapiens into Europe. If we come into like more modern times and talking about like sort of maybe perhaps why Spanish wine hadn't become internationally known compared with French and Italian wines, for example. Now that's changing and that's changed massively. But, you know, if we go back to the 70s, 80s, maybe early 90s, I, I guess, like talking from my basic knowledge of, you know, what was available in the UK when I was growing up. Spanish wine, there were like two bottles of Spanish wine compared to like hundreds of bottles of Italian and French wine. Was that to do with marketing? Was that to do with the Franco era? Franco was, by all accounts, a bit of a dick. But he didn't, he didn't stop winemaking, but it was because nobody was trading, right? Yeah, so there was yeah, forgotten. Actually, Spain has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. And now it's becoming very uh, competitive, right, the, the Spanish wine. I would say, well, it's famous, the, the Spanish bulk wine. But bulk, bulk wine, yeah. but a, a gran, granel wine, isn't it? A granel wine. wine. It's, very, it's very famous. And actually, it's some wineries from the south of France buy mm. this and wine. Bad yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of that Spanish oh. stuff. And then we oh, sell it as well. So if they have a bad year, they, they, they ship in vats of Spanish wine to kind of top up their production. They, the French stopped the wine tankers on the Pyrenees border and they flushed all the wine out. And I'm like, don't waste the wine, bring it. But the, there's a wonderful word, which is Spanish wine was often used to adulterate. Yeah. French wine to give it a bit more oomph and body in those kind of quieter years. But um, yeah, I think that's a good point. We had a lot of bulk wine. Yeah. But also we have, uh, on the other hand, we have an excellent advantage over the rest of the uh, countries is the price. Uh, We have the best ratio, quality price. Uh, And I I don't say this. uh, Robert Parker says this. Robert Parker, yeah. He's Robert Parker. He's like the number one wine critic in the world. For those of you who don't know, stay that way. Cause this is the fifth year, right? The fifth or sixth year. He's been saying it, yeah. yeah. Because he, he, he's the kind of guy who can make or break a wine. I think he started in the 1970s with the Wine Spectator magazine. And he can make or break a winery just on a, one review. Wow. And he's been saying, yeah, for the past few years at Spain, no one can say that this country has the best wine. There's good wine and bad wine in every country. But price to quality, Spain's kind of unbeatable because of the tax. It's like food tax, isn't it? Exactly. Uh, we have a tax for wine. It's an old tax. But uh, it's been always the same. Zero percent. Zero percent. We don't... Yeah, we, we have a, a tax, but it's zero. Not like beer. Beer has a tax. Yeah. It's three, four percent. But uh, wine is, is, is free. I mean, uh, no tax, which places the wine at the same level as, fr- as fruit or vegetable. <laughs> so it's, it's considered a kind of fruit. <laughs> it's, it's a fruit juice, yeah. It's considered a fruit juice, that's fantastic. Actually, May it, actually, Luke's just actually it. opened a bottle um, as we're talking. Go on then. Just so we try a 
Why not? Why not? Why not? <laughs> it is 11 a.m. on a Friday morning. Um, but is it right that Spain is, uh, what, the number three or in the top three wine normally producers in the world? Normally it's in position three. Sometimes it uh, can change. Yeah. Uh, three, four years ago we were the first because French, we love French people, uh, they had a terrible weather year and they lost their position, which I think is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so top three, but isn't Spain the largest exporter of wine globally? By far in the world. Um, no, sorry, in, in Europe. Um, I think one of the largest in the world. Number three producer, largest l- amount of land dedicated to vineyards of any country in the world. La Mancha is the largest wine region in the world. Yeah, I remember in one of your podcasts, and it was a statistic that really uh, surprised me, actually. Like, La Mancha is bigger than, like, the whole of, like, the Napa Valley or oh, yeah. something. It's because it's just it's wall-to-wall vineyards. Like, when you, when you see these wine maps, they can be a bit disingenuous. Yeah. For example, you see the size of the big orange Ribera de Guadiana in Extremadura. Yeah. It looks massive, right? That's a huge area. It's almost as big as La Mancha. Absolutely. Having said that, the wineries are very spread out. So they ah, might actually, you might, it's more the, the, the area where the DO is covered, the denominación de origen is covered. Yeah. Not necessarily, it means it's completely full. Yeah. La Mancha is absurd. It's just olive trees and vineyards for as far as you can see. Yeah. Um, most of the wine is pretty bad. <laughs> They're changing their brand. That was, um, like Rocco said, the bulk wine. They used to call it La Bodega de Europa, the winery of Europe, because it produced so much. So La Mancha, the biggest DO in, in Europe or in the world? Oh, in the world. The big biggest DO in the world, really? The on the planet is La Mancha. And, and, and how many hectares or whatever? I believe it's a, an, an F-ton. <laughs> if you would say in 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 cool kids speak, yeah. I, I actually I, I think I have a note down here. I think I was looking at it, La Mancha. Hang on a second, it's I might not have it. But not the the most productive. The most productive should be Rioja, right? Yeah, it's the most productive because there's about 800. And, but almost half half the wine of Spain comes from Rioja, so it's. I think Rioja is the kind of wine that most people still Rioja know we, outside we of like Spain. Rioja. Maybe one or two of the best uh, wines in the world come from Rioja. But uh, Rioja is a dreamland for wine. It's protected by mountains from the north and from the south. And, you know, those mountains, the Pyrenees and the mountains from Cantabria, mm-hmm. and protect the, from the cold weather that comes from Brexit land. And, um, the cold uh, <laughs> winds of Brexit. <laughs> yeah. About 500,000 hectares in La Mancha. Almost 50% of all the planted vines are in La Mancha. Ooh. That's so, amazing, almost 50% just in La, La Mancha, dear. Rioja, Rioja, I wanted to say, is a, is a super perfect wine. And sometimes perfection is boring. How many DOs are there? About 71. There's lots of... 71 DOs in... Befuddled, befuddled sort of designations, but I think 71 is the latest count. <clears throat> because last year... They introduced a couple of new ones. In Asturias, Cangas became a DO. But then someone else said it's not. It's a, and I'm like, well, someone's got to be right here. It's really confusing. I think, but I think they got upgraded. And then, One of the Canary Islands, right? Yeah. The East Canary Canary Islands in, in English. Yeah. So it was something like that. Oh, really? yeah. It's kind of going to cover all, the whole islands in one go, which is a bit, a bit stupid. I think. For the listeners who are not sure, DO is a denomination... <laughs> Dominatrix orgy. <laughs> Denomination de origen. It's like, it's like the French have the appellation contrôlée. It just means like a wine area which has regulations of what you can grow, alcohol levels, this yields per X or Y hectares. It just it basically means if I'm in Britain or if I'm in Murcia or if I'm in Timbuktu, the wine has its own kind of geographic style, if that makes sense. So the idea of these regions was... If you can plant anything anywhere, what is the point of a wine region in the first place? So California used to be like, 
you could do what you want. He's like, I want to do a blend of Pinot Grigio and Cabernet Sauvignon. It's, it's, it's the best way to preserve, to protect the style and the profile of the wine of each region. Otherwise, if you follow the needs of the wheels of the market, uh, all, all winemakers would be making the same wine. So it's a way to protect the personality of each yeah. area. Okay, so Luke's opened a bottle um, and poured us each uh, uh, a little slug of wine it's here. It's Toledo wine from Mentrida, which is a small region. Yeah. The wine is called Tavera. It's next to Madrid, right? Next to Madrid. And this it's is... divided in three, now, now four sub-zones. Sub, sub yeah. And now Arganda, Naval Carnero, San Martin, and now the new Jarama. I didn't know how... It's, Molar? It's called Molar, Molar. yeah. Molar. This, one, this one, by the way, is Tempranillo, Syrah and Garnacha from 2013. Garnacha is the king of the Madrid wine. Mm. And very popular as well in Mentria. I read a nice thing the other day, which is, if Tempranillo is the señor, or the, the lord of Spanish grapes, Garnacha is the lady. Because it's quite a... Do you want to hear my... my I wrote a wine joke. Do you want to hear this? Yes. <laughs> All right. Ready yourselves for a groan. Garnacha is, is quite a thin-skinned variety. So don't insult it. Come on. Oh, okay. Okay, cheers. Cheers. Oh, cheers. Salud. I think I need a bit more wine. I fully, <laughs> fully appreciate that. <laughs> I love it. It's too early for that joke. Not for wine. It's too early for that joke. What do you think of this wine? It's quite nice. Quite bright. So this was left by a distributor. What happens with a lot of distributors is they, the good ones leave you bottles to try, which is good for one reason because it means you can drink the rest of this wine yourself. But the problem is, if you haven't tried the wine, sometimes they try the wines with you, and they go, no, 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 keep the bottles. That's the best one. Sometimes they come with a Coravin, this little needle gas system which you put... That's terrible. It kind of... The cork is still in the bottle. Yeah. You connect this machine to the top, and a little tiny needle goes down through the cork, minuscule needle, yeah. and using a gas propulsion, it sucks wine straight out. So basically, you don't have to take the cork out, and you can kind of take wine out of a closed bottle. Yeah, and then it, and it kind of spurt, spurts out a little bit into your glass, which is cool, but then... Frankenstein times. Frankenstein times. But then they sort of give you this little dribble of wine, and you're like, oh, thanks. Replacing wine for gas. <laughs> Isn't that just like a little bit tacaño, no? It's a bit, it's a like, a bit stingy. No, it's a but, bit stingy. I, you know, I understand it in a way. The middle one, which is good and bad, is when they leave you the bottle. You haven't tried it. They go, here are the ones that you thought were interesting. Try them, which is nice. But then so there's... The, the, when the bottle cost 30 euros, but when it cost 9 euros, like yesterday, you remember? Yeah, yeah. yeah. distributed yesterday for... I mean, it's a 9 euros. Why just leave it? Go away. <laughs> the problem is... <laughs> the, the problem is that when they leave a bottle you haven't tried, yeah. and then you try it and it's crap, and you feel bad, and then they come back and go, ¿Qué tal el vino? You're like... Oh, think of an excuse, think of an excuse. Don't say it's crap. Maybe we've got too many Rioja wine. As you're kind of like rinsing your mouth out viciously in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> this is a nice wine. This is a nice wine. I could sell this wine. Pretty label. Um, the same lady brought a Madrid wine a couple of weeks ago and it was garbage. And I'm very generous with wine, but it was garbage. Yeah. And she came back in, she's like, ¿Qué tal los vinos? And I was like, oh, we've only tried the Madrid one. And it was my fault because I was like, oh, I really want to try the Madrid wine. Yeah, please bring me one. Yeah. And it was not good. And I had to be like, oh, yeah, maybe when we get rid of one of these references, we'll put that one in. And she's like, okay, vale. Okay, bye. Oh, I felt really bad because she left me a free bottle. Yeah. Okay, it was like two euros, but still. What do you think uh, about this wine, Paul? I really like it. It's certainly... Give us a tasting. What can you smell? <laughs> you smell cherry or do you smell manure? Not manure. Manure. The concept of misery. <laughs> Yeah, like black cherry-ish 
kind of uh, you did put that plant that seed that you did plant that cherry seed in my head promising alcoholic I get a touch of chocolate it's not it's quite a good nose so it's had 12 months in American oak so you're gonna get these kind of Oh, and French as well. These are the kinds of things we uh, love to make jokes in our tastings. Our tastings are very unpretentious. And, uh, oh, and I make a lot of uh, jokes about Luke uh, because he's the, he's the kind of guy who grabs the glass and says, mm-hmm, coconut. Yeah, uh, but it's got a kind of rubber, rubbery, like a rubber, like a sort of, I don't know, like a... Like a I think it's because they were just tarmacking the road around the corner and that, that sort of stained my palette while I've been walking here. Hints of tarmac, no. It's, it's really good. It's, what I was going to ask you, talking about the, the relationship that you have with the wine producers, how do you go about selecting wines? Do you get the opportunity to actually get out into the vineyards and meet the wine growers sometimes? We have uh, different ways to get uh, to reach a wine. Um, steal bottles from shops and try them? Yeah, well... No. There is this event in the city that is, is a wonderful place to really, well, to go there, discover new wines and taste them, uh, like, you know, salons, exhibitions. Salons or something, yeah. Yeah. Um, or wine fairs. I mean, it's uh, the best, the, yeah, because in one day you can discover, you know, 50 new wines. Of course, you cannot drink all the wines. You say that. You, say that. <laughs> you, can, have a, you, can, have a, you can have a bloody good try, though. So we, we always... Well, Roque says he never spits, which is a very amusing thing to say. But you, we, we don't... You, I start... Unless it's a really good wine, I start off... If I'm trying to work, I don't drink them all initially. Because they give you a little bit, yeah. but then that gets more and more. So that's disgusting. It is disgusting, but it's also because some people have cars they need to drive home. <laughs> And you don't care because you're from Murcia. <laughs> but what I love is these things. Basically, it's usually they do like 12 o'clock to 4, and then maybe 6 o'clock until 9. Like almost like a Spanish day. Yeah. You want to get there as early as possible to either of them. Otherwise, it turns into some sort of bacchanal orgy, and it's just chaos, and you can't speak to anybody. Everyone's just drunk. The Spanish, they always start trying to pretend to be elegant, and then like, no, we're Spanish, let's get drunk. <laughs> and make a lot of noise. <laughs> I remember one day uh, recording a podcast, we drank too much. <laughs> and we went to Leroy Merlin and I bought a shower. <laughs> I bought a shower. What? <laughs> you got drunk and went to, yeah. to Leroy Merlin. <laughs> I remember that day. That was the only time I thought I was going to die in a car. Yeah. I, was, I don't remember who drove. I think you, you drove with me helping you with, drove, from the car to see, <laughs> Changing the gears for you. So you arrive at Leroy Merlin, you're locking up the car and thinking, how did we get here? <laughs> Who drove? And the next day it was like, oh, I got a new shower. <laughs> what a random purchase. Back to your question. Back to choosing one. <laughs> um, um, also, we, we, we love to research. Research and look for uh, good quality, uh, good ratio quality price wines in uh, guides, in Penin guide or Gourmet guide or Vivino. Like online things online, as well, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, because we know that we, we have to like the wine, uh, to have it here in the shop, we have to like it, but also we have to be ready for the customers to take out their phones and check in the internet how good is that wine. Mm-hmm. I've, noticed, I've noticed a new trend. If they don't speak either English or Spanish, a lot of the Asian clients we get, they just come straight in. I go, hola, hello, and they go, hi, and they don't, they, they're shy, they don't speak anything, and they, they just spend about 10 minutes just photoing every wine. Yeah. Um, so I think on Vivino, we, which is a good wine app, you take yeah. a photo of the label that gives like Shazam of wine. You said it, 
and we have to make sure no wine is less than 3.5 average, for example, just in case. If it has a cool, and, and if it has a cool label, all the better. And also there is a third way to reach us is, yes, to some distributors just show up in the, in the shop. And That's the nicest one, I think. Yeah, they show you their wines, they let you try it. Say and, <laughs> and, and we have discovered a lot of good wine like that, and mm. also a lot of crap wine. Yeah. I guess also through your like, personal research in your, in your free time, so you know, when you're... That's where putting it, Paul. Yeah. Our personal research. Yeah. Code for your drinking problems that you use to a great extent in the bars. Yeah. No, it's true. So, I mean, I... Every time I travel, and I, I love traveling, I mean, I, I know everyone's like, I love food and travel. No, no, you shut up, Casey. I need to travel. <laughs> and every time I travel to, sorry, to a new country or a new anywhere, I try to include a winery visit because every country almost has wine in Europe anyway, and it's always fun to see. Uh, and especially in Spain, there's just so much wine that every time I go to a new town, I always, you know, if they've got a local wine, that's kind of a fun way to try. Um, I just went to Galicia and I met a winery there, one that we sell. Mm-hmm. Excuses um, for drinking. Yeah, any excuse for drinking. <laughs> I mean, the, the sad fact is, unless the people are really cool or the setting is really beautiful, most wineries get a bit boring after a while because if you've been to as many... I don't think you've been to as many as I have, but if you've been to as many... Oh, he, he, he's really a geek. Uh, and he knows his name better than me. But it gets a bit... Yeah, and these are the fermentation tanks, yeah. Like in every winery in the freaking world, just I just give me the quick half an hour walk around and let's try the wines. But I want to meet the people. The people are kind of the, the nicest aspect. And there could be a wine which is maybe not bad, but then this, the vineyard is beautiful, the people are really lovely, and it kind of makes you almost like the wine more. It's like when you try a wine on holiday in situ and you go, oh my God, this wine is amazing. And then you try it in your living room two years later and you're like, why did we buy this? Yeah, yeah. So we, we try not to be too biased like that, but... We, we try and meet the winemakers. Sooner or later, you will become the Ernest Hemingway of the wineries. I am. <laughs> with a rifle. <laughs> Hemingway was here. <laughs> Darakot was here. Hopefully, I'm a nicer person than Ernest Hemingway. Yeah, I, I think, I think so. An awful human being. <laughs> Pretty terrible guy. Yeah. Yeah. Crashing on, for people who listening to this maybe in the US or any other country, wherever, which is where most listeners listen from instantly. Yeah, same with us. A lot of Yankee noodles. We love them. They're really big into foodie stuff. It's great. Yeah. Someone coming to Spain for the first time enjoys wine. Could we give some recommendations? Drink it. <laughs> Drink it. I think, you know, you're going to your average old man bar, the Tasca. Mm. The default wine in Madrid, for example, is going to be a Verdejo or a, a Roble or something. Let but me give you an advice. Um, probably if you go to a bar, uh, you ask for, if you ask for a, for a red wine, uh, 99% chances they will offer you a Rioja wine. Um, Okay, if the waiter uh, offers you a Rioja wine, <laughs> ask him, what else can you offer me? Okay. Don't settle for Rioja. Yeah, I would agree with that, because I think Rioja, Rioja is fine, but we always, so on our tastings, we never put Rioja, because we say, you don't need our help in finding Rioja. Um, and Roque is right, because they might have something else. I think also the bars are trained to be like, we have to have Rioja, mm-hmm. as if it's like, we can't not have Rioja. It's like, no, you can. People will, if people want a red wine, they'll order a red wine, but they think they have to have Rioja because it's so famous. So, yeah, asking people, like, ¿hay otra cosa? Is there another thing? Um, most bars now have, like, Rioja or Ribera. They have, like, a couple, maybe. And they're usually a better bet because there's far fewer wineries and the quality, generic quality, that's higher. Rioja Ribera is, uh, uh, is, is like if you say New York, San Francisco, something yeah. like that. I see. Yeah. Two, two fairly modern liberal cities, we but completely Madrid, different. Barcelona is like, ah. 
like a West Side Story, like they got the da -da 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 -da. hey, we're the Rucker Boys. <laughs> you Ribera's, what are you doing in our patch? Da -da 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 -da. Anyway, uh, what about whites? White wines? Oh, probably Madrid. Whites. <laughs> 2019, Paul. <laughs> probably Madrid. It will happen the same uh, with Reda. They will probably give you Reda wine, uh, and it's the moment to ask, what else do you have? Probably the second option would be uh, Albariño from Rias Baixas. But it's, uh, I think it's a better option. I mean, because the Reda in the bars in Madrid tends to be very bad. May I tell a personal anecdote Absolutely. about Albariño? Because this is the grape which actually got me into wine in the first place. Okay. Um, and it was, before I came to Spain, wine, you know, as an Englishman, wine was that stuff you have at dinner maybe and it was that stuff which gets you drunk faster than beer at university I didn't really I, was a, I liked my cider and beer I, was, I went to Bath I liked sort of like now encroaching on Don Simon territory or? not quite I had some I, had some, I would pay three euros not one um, but I didn't care about one I just drank it I was like this is nice but I liked my family always drank big reds my dad liked a big red so I only just drank big reds so I liked you know, give me a bottle of Rioja fine give me a bottle of Ribera del Duero and it was after the first year, I went to do a run in Guadalajara. Uh -huh. uh, I say a run, a 5K charity event run, so just so I could get a free T-shirt, basically, and pretend I was fit. The day before, we went out with, the, with our friend who lived, no, it's from Guadalajara, and she took us, well, I say us, me, um, my friend hadn't arrived yet, took us to a restaurant for Arroz con Bogavante, which is like this nice lobster rice, almost like a wet paella stew, very, very nice. And I was like, well, that sounds good, cultural. And she was like... Should we get a white wine? And my inner head was like, oh, I drink. I wasn't really a white wine guy. I drank reds. And I was like, yeah, of course, why not? You know, you're in charge. And it was a bottle of Martin Kodash, which is now, sadly, of Albarino's, a bit more of the industrial big-scale wineries there. But at the time, it was 10 years ago, it was a bit of a smaller production. And it was a bottle of Martin Kodash, Albarino. And I'd never had really much. I'd never had Albarino before. I think if I ever had it, it was just like you said, Rueda in a bar. And it was a combination of this beautiful, crisp, aromatic Galician white wine. And the, you know when, like, in these films, where the light kind of oh, comes through the clouds and shines? It was like kind of a, I understand now. And it was that moment. So Albarino's still is my favourite. And we have a very strong hand-picked selection of Albarino's here. A late harvest Albarino. Instead of September, the grapes are left there until, like, the end of October. Super aromatic. Amazing. What is the kind of characteristic of Albarino? It's quite sort of minerally, isn't it? Bit of minerally, very fruit forward, lots of sort of appley, melony, not less less citrusy than other ones, and quite round, but very crisp acidity. Even the French, and I say this doffing my cap to them, which is <coughs> I'm gonna give them a compliment, which is very hard for an Englishman to do. Even the French have said that it's the best white wine. Not all the French, <laughs> but the industry has said like, yeah, that's probably the best pairing wine for, for seafood in the world. And that is, you know, surprise, surprise, Galicia. You know, what, what grows together goes together. Yeah, absolutely. For anyone who's coming to Spain and is considering choosing maybe a, a region to go visiting vineyards or wine producers, is there anywhere that you'd particularly suggest? Rioja, Rioja is the obvious one. It's the easy one. And it is amazing. You have lots of wineries there, full stop. You also have lots of wineries which have tasting rooms, which sounds obvious. If you're American listening... What America does very well is sell. There's a reason they're quite a rich country. But one of the problems is in Spain, we don't have the setup, the money, the finance. Rioja does. So you can actually go 
to a Rioja winery. Do you want to let that man in? Oh, he's going over the road now. Okay. No, no, Sorry. he's coming in. Okay, no. It is 11 o'clock. No. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Let, let me stop you opening, opening the shop up. Um, but yeah, I'll carry on talking. So Rioja is like the most well set up. So you can go to some of the bigger wineries. If you go to Logroño or nearby to the town of Aro, you will find, you know, um, like Cune. Cune is a very famous one, or Muga. These ones, you can find these in America and Britain. Uh-huh. They will actually have a tasting room where you can go in, you can drive up, you can try the wines, um, you can buy if you want. Most of them, in most of Spain, it's like a, a one-man job, I always call them. Very small, family-run thing, and you have to call ahead. You, it's more like, let's do the visit, and at the end we'll try some wines. So you can, you can visit anywhere, but you have to plan more. Best if you're just touring Rioja by far. Ribera del Duero is pretty good as well. Um, Galicia has got a very good setup. Rias Baixas, as long as you call ahead, you know. But, well, I think one of the best options should join one of our excursions, one-day excursions nice to, the, to, <laughs> nice. the, to the Madrid wineries. If you want to mm, see a winery here and also have an, one of the most amazing food ever yeah. uh, in Madrid, in Chinchon, actually. We, mm. we visit, uh, we have uh, you know, a few uh, wineries there, friends of us, and, and we really have an excellent time there. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's the best way. Okay, I like the way you slip that in, and yeah, Chinchon is just down the road, really. Yeah, I mean, they, we have about, uh, I think the last count was 50 wineries near Madrid, all within about an hour and 20 minutes, and again, with us, we can do it for you. But yeah, again, calling ahead, if you are visiting Madrid, you can get to a, quite a few of them just on public transport either in San Martín de Valle Iglesias out west or Chinchón, Colmena de Oreja in the southeast. Um, but, but they're often visually not exactly like the grand ones in Rioja, but the people are usually really giving and humble, which is nice. And we could be the best ambassadors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, you do them, if, you, if you do ever come with us, you leave basically... Oh, off your face is a nice way of saying it. Because <laughs> Spain, what, another thing I love about Spain is they're obscenely generous with food. I want everything as well, but like, you ask for like, we did this, we did this tasting menu in Chinchon last time we were there, and the idea is every wine, that's right, every dish comes with a different wine, right? But then some people were drinking faster than some other people, so those who had already finished their drinks, they just came around again and refilled that one you were having. It's not like, in London you'd be like, oh well, you've drunk it too fast now, yeah, soz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you've just had a delivery of some toilet signs. Excellent. How many toilet signs do you need? It means we can stop when we do these tastings. We don't, we don't have to walk down hand in hand with the person and be like, here's the loo. <laughs> what does it say? No, toilets. Toilet. Why is it in French why anyway? Is it, yeah, why is it in French? Dare I even say favourite wine or favourite uh, region, favourite DO, I, I, I favourite... Okay. Okay. So I don't have a favourite wine. I have the, <clears throat> the most sensational Spanish wine I ever had was an aged... Rioja White from uh, Lopez de Heredia, uh-huh. Vina Tandonia, for those of you who know their ones. That was the most sensational one bottle, but regions, every region as well has good and bad stuff. Mm. I think spiritually, the ones which I think of first, sherry wines in general, the dry ones, Rias Baixas Whites for the aforementioned awakening, and what I just call big Spanish reds, <laughs> whether they're from... Roque's part of the world in Jumilla, um, Alicante, Valencia, Murcia area, or if they're like a big Toro or a big Ribera. So big Spanish reds in general, but then whites from Rias Baixas or Galicia in general, and sherry, I think, are my ones. Uh, I, nice. I, do have, I, I do have a favorite wine, 
The one, the, yeah, yeah, the one I share with my friends. Oh, oh. <laughs> such an artist. Lovely. But, Roque, you're not a fan of, I can't remember if it's like super dry or super sweet. Super dry, no? He hates sherry. I hate sherry, Wayne. And I don't hate it. It's just, that it's not I don't, I haven't learned yet how to appreciate it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, no, I prefer, I prefer more aromatic, uh, Ten, you fruitier. know, fruitier, yeah, fruitiers. So it's quite, it's quite useful for us because, for example, I generally hate semi-sweet, semi-dulce, and normal sweet wines. If I, if I'm going to go sweet, I want sexy, sexy sweet stuff like Tokai from Hungary or some of these weird things that we've got for the shop. But it's quite useful because Roque is very good for sparkling wines, which I don't really give a toss about. No offense, Carver. I like them, it's fine, but it's not my cup of tea. I don't like fizzy things in general. Mm-hmm. And sweet stuff. So Roque, that, if his palate says, this is amazing. Like there's one we have. Uh, feel free to come and buy it if you come to our shop. It's a semi-sweet sparkling Moscato, Moscatel. And I, didn't, I never heard about this wine. I have, we have the dry version. I got a text from Roque going, I've just had an orgasm in my... No, a cerebral... A brain orgasm. A brain-gasm. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he's like, this wine, we're having it. And we have it, and it sells really well, because he knows it, and I trust that palate. In the same way, if it's I say... It's such a gay wine. <laughs> it's a very Roque Madrid wine. It's a bright pink flower and a pink top, and it's a bit sweet. It's basically Roque. Pink and sweet. <laughs> flowery um, in, but in the same way if there's a, a sherry wine which I say this is amazing yeah. Rocco would probably go okay I trust yeah. you for the sherry and it's not, not gay at all <laughs> so I go for old man drinks I think and Rocco's like oh, this is a lovely white wine <laughs> I kind of grew up with the whole big reds thing and I still like really big meaty red for me yeah absolutely but I'm a big fan of sherry as well a fino like an ice cold really nice chilled fino absolutely love it yeah oh okay bargain I'll take how many have you got (laughs) no it's for you it's got your name on it but yeah the same I'm not I'm not big into whites but if I were to choose a white it would be something from from the Rio Spacious as well I've got friends up in Bigo so every time I go up and see them I don't know when when this is coming out but I was there last week in the end of end of my I'm not going to say I won't say what day it is but uh, yeah it was for my birthday we did a few days out there and we had a quick and stop. And I was in. here in the shop. Slaving away, holding the fort. <laughs> For like a few days. That was, but the problem was when we, this is quite, this is kind of quite amusing and also like, well, so last year, so in 2018, before summer, I booked this, when I, when I was still a food tour guide before I opened a you know, wine shop with Rocky, I had booked and paid for a, a huge three-week trip uh-huh. in Japan. Ah, that's right, yeah. And I was going to just leave my food tour job for a while and come back as, as we could do as a freelancer yeah. and then we decided to open a wine shop so I was like cool that sounds great just to let remember in, in, in April I need to do this and we're like yeah okay no worries I'm sure we'll be fine and then we kind of half forgot about it and we're like oh crap yeah like, <laughs> Christ um, so Roque managed to survive we had a bit of help but he managed to survive um I'm still ill. I don't feel well this leg. Well, I'm impressed with myself because I got back from Japan with jet lag and did eight days in a row, also with a date and with friends visiting. I think I must have been like, basically, when people like a, like a zombie when people were coming in at the end. <laughs> um, but I think the hardest part, I mean, it was really hard, obviously, when I was away, but the hardest part was when we were here initially setting up. Cause it was like 11-hour days for like a month setting stuff up with like manual labor. And I don't think either of us have ever been that tired yeah. in our lives. <laughs> like if, 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 if so, like, you know, like painting and decorating and unloading bottles, I imagine, yeah. Everything you see, 
looked nothing like what it looked like. It had like big big undies hanging up everywhere. This was this was, a, this was this was a wholesale of underwear for ladies. Horrible, depressing 1970s, <laughs> you know, plasterboard ceiling, very depressing. And then we took off the ceiling, and they're like, there's these amazing wooden beams under five years of different layers of... So we had to just change everything, basically. We talked about wines that we like. Any amusing anecdotes about any horrific wines yes. or horrific, horrific wine experiences? I can tell you wines I don't like, yeah. but that might anger Actually, people. The, uh, one of the... <laughs> most terrible experience was drinking the the wine from my hometown mm. <laughs> oh what a shame what a shame yeah, uh, <laughs> we were recording the podcast thank god it's an audio podcast because we finished <laughs> we finished the podcast drinking coke yeah, coca-cola lied. <laughs> lied. anytime we've ever lied in the podcast we're like mm, this is interesting next one it was like five no, bottles the wine, the, the wine should be good but it was in bad state it was corked it was corked and like his dad had stored them badly. Stored and, stored and aged rubber cork wines as well. So it just smelled of rubber. Like, mm, what, a, what a heady aroma. We did a Christmas podcast where I really ruined Christmas for Roque. I, did, I brought him presents. One was non-alcoholic wine, which unsurprisingly was terrible. I brought him a bottle of blue wine, yes. which unsurprisingly yeah, was terrible. You ruined my Christmas. I know. And then I, I said... That was a joke. Now I'm going to prepare mulled wine. But I hadn't prepared hot wine for so long. I forgot the sugar. I remember this. It was the most bitter, disgusting thing ever. And we finished just drinking Cordonier cheap cup. <laughs> just like how every Christmas should be. Are there any wine regions you don't like in the world? I think we share one in Italy that we don't like. A Chianti. We don't like Chianti. Chianti. Chianti wine. Rubbish. Why not? Tart, sour, acidic, acidic thin. Just like the people. No, I'm joking, they love it. Because <laughs> we are filming a whole week in Tuscany, which arguably is one of the most beautiful places in the world. Absolutely. And the food is fantastic. Yet, we were kind of annoyed that at the end of every day we had to drink. So we were in the supermarket trying to find something which wasn't. Well, the, good th- yeah. the good thing about a Spanish wine is that uh, it's hard to find a super bad wine. Even the worst wine is at least decent. Yeah. Drinkable. Yeah. So we have juice and, and fruitiness and alcohol at the very least whereas at cheap least you french. can make a sangria with yeah. it <laughs> whereas cheap french cheap italian has to be very thin like cheap i mean i think also i'm colored by cheap chianti we used to get in england um fun fact i think it's true fun fact the the old chianti in the in the wicker basket it's that's called a fiasco and interestingly in england a fiasco is a terrible situation yeah. so i wonder if that's so i, wonder, I see in spanish it's oh, a fiasco yeah La fiesta fue un fiasco. Oh, yeah. I wonder if that's linked to this bad quality wine, maybe. Mm. Like a disaster. Es que fue un fiasco. Like in English, it was an absolute fiasco. It's really common to say John, that in English. John, John didn't bring the bolly. Absolute fiasco. Absolute fiasco. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine like a bloke like, oh, I made an absolute fiasco last night. It's a bit of a posher kind of. It was, our duel was a bit of a fiasco. Uh, for anyone uh, rocking up in for anyone still listening anyone still listening at this stage but for anyone rocking up in Madrid or in Spain in, in general mm. never been here before um, any do's and don'ts are you, do, do, would you just advise someone just to wander into any bar and ask the advice of the waiter say hey I'd like a in their, in their best Spanish absolutely for wine um, I don't know if there are any other indulgences they might want um, but uh, just to walk in and ask the advice of a waiter in your like average bar or should they yeah. The sad thing is the average bar won't have a selection of wines, probably. 
I think, I mean, even though we hate on Barcelona a lot because the, the locals aren't as friendly, we think, and there's lots of tourism, which is both, I think, true. And I say that not with any kind of like, oh, because you live in Madrid. I just think it's been ruined by tourism a little bit. Yeah. Having said that, there are lots more wine-centric bars in Barcelona. I mean, they're surrounded by 11 DOs, great region. Please drink Catalan wine. They're fantastic. Um, but Madrid, we most bars don't. So I think it pays before you come to do a little bit of, not research, but just have a little Google like wine bars in Madrid. Because the sad fact is if you go into a normal bar, unlike the wine region places, like Rioja you go in, every crappy bar has got about 50 different Riojas. If you go into an average wine bar and you go, oh, what wines do you have? You'll be like, Rioja or Ribera. Oh, marvellous. That's it. So I think actually Madrid, it's not necessarily the best idea just to walk into a random bar. Yeah. The more modern bars have more of a selection as well. I mean, that's right. Yeah. Subscribe. Everything you said. Like you should subscribe to the When in Spain podcast. <laughs> oh, pues muchas gracias, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of plugs, you guys, uh, you've got your, your shop here. Yeah, great space you've got here. How many different wines have you got in the shop? Maybe 250. We don't, we don't really. We're not very. <laughs> we had to be close to three hundred. About three hundred wines. Yeah. We've, in the last couple of months, we've really been expanding. Yeah. Um, we, we obviously will have a limit to where there's too many, and that we have to make sure. The key is more. Uh, make sure you don't forget about a wine, because when we order something new, it's exciting, and we want to sell these new ones. Yeah. We have to remember. Hello, maybe that wine's been there a while and don't forget about that poor old little guy in the corner. So it's more about trying to remember all the wines we have and also remember what they all are. Because, you know, maybe you buy a wine and then a few months later hmm. someone asks you about it. You go, oh, what was it again? It was, uh, you know. Whereas it's easy when it's Albarino. It's like, this is <laughs> Albarino, 100%. But some of the red blends, you have to remember, oh, God. And then they say, oh, is it 50% Tempranillo or is it like 60? Like, oh, get a life. <laughs> <laughs> And you also do wine tastings, where you do like uh, uh, wine tasting evenings and mornings, no? And, or afternoons. Uh, how does that work? We have three turns of tastings every day, 12, 30, 5 and, and 7. Uh, every day, uh, open tastings to people who want to join, normally from uh, the States, UK, Canada, yeah. Australia. Uh, mm, and yeah, I mean, it's uh, one hour and a half, two hours tasting. Uh, three, three wines, 15 euros. It's very, it's very cheap, Amazing. but uh, it's a great time and and keeps keeps the 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 the, the shop alive and it adds like life to the shop as well. We, we, yeah, we, we, we share our passion with, yeah. about wine and and it's great. I mean, it's also in a really kind of in a business sense, it's good because also when you have people sitting here, people walk past and they want to come in because they see a bit of life in the shop. So also it helps us in a dual method. Obviously money, that's great. But if we have like a group of five, people just come in and go, oh, they kind of want to walk around. Whereas if it's just us standing here, maybe they might have gone past. And also every week we have a special tasting uh, on Thursdays. Uh, We call it it Inside the Bottle. And uh, it's a... Thematic. Mm-hmm. Each week change, changes the, the chapters of nice. the. This uh-huh. next week will be rosé. Yeah, yeah. It's a selection of uh, rosé wine. People ask for themes, and if, yeah. if we can do it, we do it. Was uh, the great sherry tasting, mm-hmm. and that's a special a special tasting every week on you, Thursdays. Usually, you have people on meetup.com yeah. and they you get a lot of expats who live here, which is nice. The people who've been here like us, like me, for years, yeah. and. They're looking for things to do, just to do, you know. Um, but they're, they're really fun, I think. I mean, I love the daily tastings because you get to visit 
uh, get to have visits from people from all around the world. But it's quite nice to have like familiar faces come every Thursday. Like, hey, or hey, Mary, or it's quite cool. Yeah. Um, and that feels like we have we've become part of the the wine scene a bit more. Absolutely. And also, also it helps that we're being written about in like articles and stuff. Espanol wrote about yeah. us, and we were the number one. Wine, wine shop on that list, yeah, so, so we're getting more interest from there. And, and the Spanish are noticing that ah, and the Spanish are now coming for tastings. It's good. Yeah, that's one thing I was going to ask actually. Yeah, uh, what's the uptake been like from from locals from from Spaniards coming and saying, oh, this looks well, like yeah. uh, uh, we got a, an article written last week in the El Español uh, digital newspaper, mm-hmm. and they made a selection of the best wine shops in the city, and we were the first. Congratulations. Congratulations. You had to pay a lot for that. No, I'm joking. Um, I think we get a lot of... We, we, when we were opening this, we didn't want to have too many crazy expensive wines. So the most expensive normal wines top out at about 30-something, which for a wine shop independent is not expensive because we, as we said, Spain's very good value for money. We don't agree with trying to sell people loads of expensive stuff. And then I think our cheapest wine is about four euros. So we have the whole gamut, and they've all been tested. We like them all because we wanted to be like the neighborhood shop, not just uh, the expensive shop and tasting area. And when, when we realized that we get, we make more money with tastings, and it's, that's kind of our bread and butter, mm-hmm. it freed us up to just literally choose wines regardless of like, you know, oh, is this, do we get 20 cents more if we sell this one? It's just, let's just sell the wines we love. Um, and also, hopefully, and it is true, get the locals coming around and shopping here. Two completely different customers, locals yeah. and, and foreigners. Foreigners spend more because they're looking for something special. Yeah. The locals come and buy their little bottle for lunch. It's quite for lovely. daily wine. Yeah. Thank you to you guys. Thank you. Roque Madrid. I mean, what a great name, by the way, Madrid. <laughs> I wish I was called Paul Oxford. Or... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, uh, what is amusing is the Spanish there, have trouble with my... London, right? There's Jack London's a spy one. Yeah. Well, the, people, the, the Spanish have problems with Luke. They're like Luque and then Daracot. They're going, oh. But then they're more incredulous the fact that his name is actually Madrid. Mm. Like, pero vives en Madrid, but you live in Madrid. Like, yes, I know. Yeah. It's very useful for Google. Roque's a shame. He's driving, uh, not his driving license, his uh, ID card and it's, yeah, Madrid. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you very much. So it's been great fun, and um, cheers, guys. Cheers. Chin chin. So that was Luke and Roque. If you're in Madrid and you'd like to head along to their shop to either purchase some wine or you'd like to book on to one of their wine experiences, their wine tastings that they talked about in the episode, find all of the information you need. You can head along to their website. It's madriddaracot.com, madriddaracot.com. I will put a link to their website in the show notes of this episode, um, but on their website, you can find all the information you need to uh, get in touch with them. So let's have our inaugural Como se dice, how do you say uh, segment of When in Spain. Obviously in this episode it's going to be related to wine. Now um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast it's only going to be pieces of vocabulary that might be useful if you're learning a bit of Spanish or even if you already know some Spanish and some of the expressions and uh, vocabulary you may not be familiar with. Today we're talking about wine and uh, well we all know I guess that uh, when we order wine, we order normally two colours, uh, tinto, which is red wine. So don't order rojo. We don't say vino rojo in uh, in Spanish. It's vino tinto for red wine and vino blanco for white wine. And of course, you can 
also order, maybe not so common, rosé wine, which we don't say vino rosé, we say rosado, rosado. When you're ordering wine, you would normally just say un vino blanco, un vino tinto. But if you want to sound a little bit more advanced, you could say uh, una copa de vino blanco or una copa de vino tinto. Copa, in this case, is the glass. Now, uh, you might think there is another word for glass in Spanish, which is vaso, uh, which is a, which means glass, which you might order uh, a vaso de agua or a vaso de, de café. But when you're ordering wine, it's not really common. I've never heard people say uh, un vaso de vino. It's normally una copa. De vino. The other way of ordering wine, and this might be in a more kind of rustic place, uh, more basic bar, is un chato, un chato de vino. And you might see it sometimes written on a menu or on a sign outside a bar. And a chato is literally a tumbler. You're probably familiar with them if you've been to Spain before. These very short, stumpy and quite wide glasses. They look, they remind me a bit of the sort of Petri dishes you used to get in science labs. They seem to be very, almost wider than they are tall. Uh, that is your chato. So it's quite a small measure and um, not as common as a, a copper, but as I say, you will see them around Spain. If we want to describe the character of the wine, um, you know, fruity, we might say afrutado, which is an expression widely used to describe the fruitiness of the wine. Afrutado is fruity. Uh, zingy, yeah, we might say it's sort of light and fresh. Zingy in English would be in Spanish alegre. Alegre literally means joy, joyful and happy, uh, which I guess makes sense if you think about it. Zingy, joyful. So, alegre. Very often with wine, we describe it as being full-bodied or, as Luke said uh, a couple of times in the podcast, big, a big wine, a big red. In Spanish, to describe this, you would use the word amplio, literally ample. Uh, amplio is uh, uh, full-bodied. Sweet, dulce and dry, seco. I suppose you're more likely to use those words. Dulce, sweet and seco is dry. The other thing you might see as well, especially when you're looking at bottles of wine, is the word crianza and reserva and gran reserva. This is really to do with how long the wine has spent in oak barrels aging. So crianza is uh, really the least amount of time. So it spends uh, a minimum of six months in oak barrels for red, for red wines and for white wines as well. Reserva uh, is the next level up. That's aged for three years uh, with at least one year in a barrel. And for white wines, they must be uh, aged for two years with at least six months of that in oak barrels. And then we have Gran Reserva. And this is a minimum of 18 months aging in an oak barrel and then three to three and a half years aging in the bottle. And for whites and rosé wine, it should be uh, four years of aging in total with six months in the oak barrel. Anyway, don't get bogged down too much worrying about how many months and years, etc. But just uh, think about the flavour of the wine. A Crianza, a Reserva and Gran Reserva. The Crianza is obviously going to have less of an oaky taste than a gran reserva the other thing to remember when you're ordering wine 
In Spain, when you're ordering wine, it's usually the case that you order the wine by selecting the DO, uh, the Denominación de Origen. So you won't normally select a wine based on the grape. You'll normally select it by the geographical area. And when you go into bars and you look at the menu on the wall, you will normally see them listed uh, in that way. So it's not common really to order by the grape. Um, sometimes you might order by the, the brand of the wine. And of course, the most important thing to remember is cheers. Salud. So there you go. A little bit of wine vocabulary uh, that might be useful when you're ordering wine in Spain. Anyway, that's just about it from me for this episode. You've been listening to the When in Spain show. Just before I go, don't forget When in Spain has a presence on all of the usual social media hangouts. We have a Facebook page and a very friendly and active Facebook group which you can join. Uh, I share photography of Spain on the When in Spain Instagram account. Uh, we have a presence on Twitter. And if you'd like to get in touch with me directly, you can always email When in Spain one at outlook.com. Well, I look forward to talking to you again next week, wherever you're listening from in the world. Uh, thank you for continuing to listen, and I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you have, please consider making a small donation via Patreon. Just to say, next week I'll be talking about the Camino de Santiago. Yes, the famous pilgrim route to the city of Santiago de Compostela. I'll be interviewing a guy called Adrian Flood, who has walked the Camino de Santiago seven times. And he uh, goes usually every year. And he also runs something called Soul Camino, which is a spiritual retreat. It takes place along the Camino de Santiago. So he'll be talking a little bit about that, but really will be focusing on Camino de Santiago, all of the different routes, what it's like to walk it, tips and tricks for preparing to make the walk. We'll talk about the history behind it, uh, all of the different routes that you can choose to walk to Santiago de Compostela. Really, uh, pretty much everything that you need to know if you are interested in or considering walking the Camino de Santiago. So that's coming up in the next episode next week. But until then, I shall leave you in peace. Have a great week. Until next time, hasta luego. Hasta luego.